What's up? This is Harry, aka Lemon Vin. Uh, I'm a cook and sous chef, and you're watching 100 Miles from Home. I don't remember the night, but this film got me thinking it used to be good in the night. We fall back where we could be before you sigh. We should share that we drink no one else, so it's good. If it's different, then we should be good. If it's different, then we should be good. And we're back again here. Uh, episode four of 100 miles from home uh i think i said this in one of the last episodes but the, one of the most rewarding things about this whole process has been able to reconnect with people uh that i've been friends with in the past kind of anchoring together with these creative processes and to uh to my right here we have uh harry aka lemon vin it's been great to see you man i we've we've hung out a little bit earlier for the last couple hours we got dinner and stuff like that yeah, yeah. man when was the last time that i saw you you, you think God, uh, thank you for having me here. Of course. It's been uh, a true learning experience with all the AV stuff. But no, <laughs> right. I mean, I think it might have been might have been 19 or 20 years old. Yeah, right. So that would have been uh, 2016. 2016, yeah. yeah. So I'm sure we don't... <laughs> unfortunately, we don't have five years worth of time <laughs> to cover, but I'm sure we can condense it. Um, you are in the restaurant business, right? And, yes. And uh, you're a classically trained chef and currently working as a sous chef. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So I... Um, I went to culinary school at the ICC, International Culinary Center, formerly known as French Culinary Institute. Um, not to toot their horn, but, uh, you know, alumnus such as Dave Chang, Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, lots of people yes. like that. Um, I only know Bobby Flay, yeah, but that's but... Hey, that's all you need to say. Add Guy Fieri to the yeah. list and we're good, right? <laughs> Flavortown. <laughs> right, right. No, but um, so I trained, uh, trained there, did the program, and then I worked in New York City, um, both in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um, both doing stages. Uh, do you know what a stage is? Uh, no. So a stage is, think of it like, it's sort of like an internship in the restaurant industry. So you, what you'll do is you'll go and work at a restaurant for free, but in exchange for doing that, you'll get to learn a lot of things you wouldn't have learned otherwise. So you might assist one of the chefs or cooks. You might get to learn how they do things. Maybe it's, Maybe you do that for a little while before they offer you a job, but I did that as well as just working as a as a cook. Is it the same thing as kind of like interning in corporate America or something like that? Similar. Um, it's more of like an on the job uh, staging. Sure. It's think of it more like an apprenticeship almost, I see. but I without see. the rigidity of like the traditional European apprentice system. And then by doing that system, does that parlay? instantly like through their system into a job or then can you take that work experience that stage experience that you have to then parlay that into getting your foot in the door at a different restaurant uh both of those things yeah. both so some really really high-end restaurants you know that that somewhere where people are you know banging down the door to work there you might have to put in some time working for free and that's almost that's like an extended interview so they can see what your work ethic is how your what your habits are how you handle yourself in the kitchen mm-hmm. as well as your actual skill level Sure, sure. And sometimes it's just sort of a pay your dues type of thing as well. Right. No. Talk to me about like a little bit more detail in school. What was that process like? I mean, we grew up in Maryland and in the Baltimore area, right? And uh, uh, what was like the initial culture shock? I mean, I always joke and I said to you earlier like this, you were saying that you were 
you know, grateful for the experience of, of living and working in, in New York City, but I think it's almost kind of uh, Hollywood-esque, right? Like, we all think of, like, we've all, you know, watched movies that take place in New York and stuff like that. Like, uh, what was that kind of culture shock, shock, like, being a young man moving to New York City, kind of being on your own, and you're in school, and, and I'm sure that, you know, there's still fun in there, too. And, and how did you kind of balance that? Like, what was the initial kind of culture shock, like, when you got there? Well, so I, when I moved, I moved to, I had never lived outside of my parents' house um, until I was 20. And so I moved out from living with my mom and dad into living in Manhattan right. at 20 years old, not knowing <laughs> that's, that's anything about anything. Yeah. yeah. So I would say the culture shock was immense and it wasn't just the culture of New York City or the hustle and bustle. It was just the culture of becoming an adult, yeah. you know, and, and I don't even want to say an adult, but becoming my Training own person adult. Yeah. Yeah. and, and, and. Yeah, training wheels adult is a good way to put it. And then, you know, there is, there's also, New York is this incredible, I, I you know, I said to you earlier, it's a city mm-hmm. of stories, meaning that every moment in New York becomes this little microcosm of experience and feelings. And, and I'm sure that can be said about anywhere, and it sort of sounds a little feat to say it, but I, I really sure. believe that. And I, I, I sort of, I became swept up by, the, you know, I moved there in the, in the late spring and early mm-hmm. summer in Manhattan, in that lower Manhattan specifically during that time. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. It's just beautiful i'm you know there's there's an energy of new york that's alive and electric and and a little bit aggressive and i i sort of i became swept up in that culture and that was you know at first it's pretty rough because in some ways like there you know there are days i had in new york where it was you know my heat's not working my shower's cold i'm gonna go work you know 12 or 14 hours and i don't know what to do and i feel like i'm failing but then there's other days that it was wow, you know, I'm riding the Q train and I can see the sun rising right. from behind the entire city of Manhattan, so much so that the timing was so perfect that the Statue of Liberty in the distance is, is has this beautiful shade of green and all the buildings are lit up gold because the sun's coming up. And, you know, then you, you wow. really feel like I'm chasing my dreams right now. I'm doing what I want to do. Right. Well, I, I know that from experience. That's something that I shared with you. Like, the, I'd visited New York City once, like, just the... Uh, touristy you know i did like the Times square yada yada you know um like when i first graduated high school and then i was fortunate enough about two or three years later to to come through for the first time with my band and we and we played in lower east side i remember we we tried to stay with you that night but you were like dude there's no way my apartment (laughs) is fitting five people uh and um but yeah just i mean there's something like you know it sounds kind of cliche right or hallmark but i guess those things are cliche for a reason like there is something where you know it is kind of a i remember for us like being like this is cool you know like it might not seem like a lot, but it's important, right? It's like, you know, New York is one of those places that's internationally renowned for arts and for achievement. And, and it seems like it's kind of like closed off, you know, and it's its own little culture. So that was cool. I can only imagine what it was like just to to be there every day. Um, back to like your schooling, when you got into that, what were some of the challenges uh, outside of like being in New York City? Like that aside, like once you actually got into the program, what got you into wanting to do that? And then uh, like in terms of cooking and then what were some of the challenges that maybe you, you initially got right off the bat as you jumped in? Well, initially um, I sort of, you know, I'd done the college thing a little bit, kind of just, you know, non-start. Um, and most of my time was spent like watching food videos or right. trying to cook. And, you know, my, my father suggested, hey, you should maybe just think about culinary school. And I, I did and I found ICC um, online and I ended up going driving up to Manhattan with my parents and taking a tour and just being blown away by yeah. not just the facilities or the but just the, the culture and you know they gave us freshly baked freshly daily baked baguettes to go home they said thank you for traveling so far mm-hmm. like it was the hospitality and the warmth and 
just the the freshness of the food and you, just in that one night i tried things that i've been wanting to try for years but never right. had the opportunity to and i thought you know I, i'd like to no pun intended take a bite out of that right and you're probably thinking like shit if i'm already scratching things off the list like just in terms of visiting right exactly what are the possibilities of them actually enrolled in this program right um once you graduated, what was it like transitioning? I know you, you talked about doing some of the apprenticing and stuff like that. Once you finally were were working in, in New York, like kind of run me through. I don't need any specifics of locations and things like that. But in terms of the culture and maybe some of the challenges that you had, some of the learning experiences you had initially, like right off the bat, as you kind of got fully immersed into the restaurant business. Well, I would say what's interesting about, you know, so if you go to, say, like an academic university to be, I don't know, a programmer or an accountant, you're, you're going to learn you're going to absorb information. That's mm -hmm. your purpose. Once you absorb the information, you're while you don't have work experience, you do have the requisite knowledge to be able to do something. Sure. Whereas cooking is a is a physical craft. Right. So when you get out of culinary school, you have some knowledge, but there's there's just this ocean of information, not just information, but the physical skill and craft that you don't have yet. Right. So and, that's, and and sidebar, like, is that something where, like, obviously, and this can be argued, too, for, for something like accounting or programming, but something like that that's more, like, on the definite, like, like a technical side where, obviously, there's technicalness and, and, and cooking as well, but it's one of those things where you truly need to put in your pay your dues and kind of make the mistakes and, and have time in the industry to kind of find your groove, even though you've been through the schooling, like, when you really need, like, to just get out there and work, I'm sure, to grow as a chef. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so there's something that some... You know, this is a little bit of an older generation of, of cooks now because, you know, you have to remember that up until I would say the last 15 or 20 years, being a chef or cook was not really glamorous in America. Sure. I mean, it was a blue collar profession. It still yeah. is in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there wasn't this magic of like, oh, chef is making me this meal and yada, yada, yada and, and TV chefs. That wasn't around. So, right. Well, that was one thing I was going to say to you think that that is something like due to the rise of, of cooking on tv that's kind of sensationalized it like on some well right like in some way due to people like bobby flay gordon ramsay that have maybe slightly shifted the perspective of that and in, in, in the 21st century where it still can be this blue collar job but there is like now this more televised glamorous side to it well you know no i, I think that what they've done is good is that mm -hmm. when you like you're putting food into your body yeah you know what i mean it's it's sort of I guess this is a biased perspective, but it's kind of weird to me that we don't focus more on food and mm -hmm. not to get on the soapbox, but like eating stuff that's from a farm or, or a farmer's market or not super processed is really important, I sure. think. And it's it's something that like in, in a sense, restaurant food is processed, but I mean, not in a factory with preservatives, like right. it's still real food that someone's made. And then that's this beautiful celebratory experience. You know, they talk about in restaurants that you're choreographing a moment often. Mm -hmm. Because it's people mm. don't always come to restaurants to eat, you know. So a restaurant someone comes to to eat is called a destination restaurant. Like I'm going here because I want to try X Y Z by Chef A B C. Right. Whereas a lot of times people come, oh, I want to propose to my wife or my fiance, or I want to yeah. celebrate a birthday, or just have like that relaxing Friday out exactly. after a long week. Exactly. Right? So I think what they've done is good. I think that the more, you know, and this ties into another topic that I would. When I first got out of culinary school, and really, I would say within a year and a half after that, it was what felt like a golden age mm -hmm. of food in America. I mean, food culture was and is explosive here. Yeah, definitely. Just from what people are cooking at home, from what they're reading, from what they're watching, to what restaurants are cooking, to what the, the techniques they're using. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely explosive here. Mm -hmm. Culturally speaking, I think that the pandemic really 
flipped everything on its head. And right. And that's something that I wanted to get into, like coming out of that golden age, right? Like you're probably on the rise, right? Like you're, you're out of school and you're working and it's this exciting time, right? And then and, and probably a couple of years in now, you're starting to probably hit your stride on some level, right? Getting different work experiences and things like that. And then obviously the pandemic hits and, and I think that's been documented uh, how it's hit different industries. But from you, again, like we don't need any specifics uh, in terms of like uh, places, but kind of walk us through that process. Like, I mean, obviously super detrimental, I'm sure to you and colleagues and things like that, but kind of walk us through what it was like navigating the initial and then the fallout from that. So, I mean, speaking frankly, it was kind of a, it was a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean like it's this, just this beyond that. It was just this terrible experience. It was, if I could conjure the the worst possible scenario to come up, sure, that's what happened. Right, and affecting so many affecting people. so yeah. many people, and not not just not just the service workers, but the business owners and the people who invest in them, and the the businesses that support restaurants. So, linen companies, you know, uh, mm. like every every business that had any sort of tie to a restaurant, suppliers, food, suppliers like that, yeah. farms, farmers wholesalers right because you don't fishers, think of the fishermen. effect that kind of comes out yeah of i mean so aside from the economic i mean the first phase of it was this all right cool there's a disease it's it's smart we're shutting down for a couple of weeks and as the pandemic progressed and then raged it was then disbelief that okay maybe it's a month and then after that it was i would say utter fear for sure. me at least me personally and, my, and the people close to me is that right. i don't know it's i'm not able to earn a living the way i know how Right, I'm sure, like, by moving yourself up there into these different locations, you've kind of put all your chips on the table, right? Like, you've yeah. relocated yourself, you've, you've delved into this career, right? And and it's one of these things that we can never see coming, right? Like Exactly. I it's mean, one of those things where, like, if a singular restaurant closes, there's always, the, and as hard as that is, there's always the possibility, well, then there's another one that you can transition to, right? Correct. And that the transition may be brief in between right but when all of your options are closed and the country is closed and and basically you're being told that this industry that you've committed yourself to and have such passion for is basically off the table for unconceivable amount of time as the goalposts continue to move i'm sure that that is just an absolute nightmare like you said i mean yeah it was a nightmare but it also i think it really forced a reckoning um that i really think was needed you know there was there's a famous chef out there named david kinch that i i've you know i he owns a restaurant in California called Menresa, mm-hmm. and I have the cookbook, the, the cookbook titled Menresa. It's something that a chef recommended I, I buy, and I'm glad I did, but he released a statement at one point that said, nay, this was not a golden age, but a gilded age, and I think that's mm-hmm. correct that, you know, restaurant work is hard yeah. for any position, not just cook. You know, if you're a server, if you're a bartender, if you're a barback, if you're a night porter, you know, there's there's a lot of unseen, both seen and unseen faces and jobs that happen that sure. often for long hours, low pay, it's thankless sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, there. don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking the whole industry, but I do think that a reckoning was needed. And now, did we need to have this terrible pandemic? No. I mean, I think there, there, there could have been a better way, but again, sure. unplanned. Right. But, trying to take some kind of silver lining out. Yeah, exactly. And I think that now people, I'm not just talking about labor or relations or things like that, but there's both, you know, the treatment of employees, the the pay structures, but also I think concepts and the way people are going to start to open businesses has really made people think about, hey, if I'm going to invest so much of my money, time, heart, and soul, blood, sweat, and tears into something like a restaurant, which requires all of that, sure, I really have to do it right because look what can happen. Right, too. And do you think, like, I, 
was something I was wondering. Like, I've seen people in other industries that have kind of touched on this, whether, whether it be like music or things like that. Like, do you think coming out of this with those adjustments made, plus you factor in people, A, now that are safe, able to do it, and maybe people that are hungering, no pun intended as well, <laughs> hungering to come back? Do you think like maybe that we can go from the gilded age to some form of a golden age with restaurants where if the structures are changed and, and the people are there, that true positive change can come out of this terrible situation on some level? I absolutely do. I yeah. think the the sort of cold, hard truth of restaurants that, no, I mean, yes, they're creative and I, I could spend the rest of this podcast talking about how restaurants are an art form in this way or that way. At the end of the day, it's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. It is a business. Sure. It's in a very expensive, very risky business at that. I mean, right. restaurant failure rate in New York City, last time I was there, was about 97%. Wow. Uh, around the country, Jeez. I think it's somewhere around 70 to 75. I'll have to, don't quote me on that. But right, so you're more likely to fail than not. You are yeah. very likely to fail. In fact, yeah. you're not only more likely, you're highly likely to fail. Yeah. That being said, I think that once the, as people, as the pandemic declines and more and more people feel more comfortable, that will allow restaurants to have the financial ability to make these changes. True. Now, in some ways, you know, you well, I think that's the realistic, the, the realist look at it. The other, the sort of the humanist look is right. that these changes need to happen regardless of whether or not somebody or someone or something makes money. That the treatment yes. of people right. and their wages and things like that, you know, have been depressed for a long time, mm-hmm. especially in restaurants. And, you know, it needs to change. So I'm, I'm sort of reluctant from both angles, but also optimistic from both angles. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. One thing that you touched on there, and, and, and you're absolutely right, we could do a whole podcast of that. I mean, hey, stay tuned. Uh, yeah. Um, was that, 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 you know, cooking is an art form and stuff like that. And, that, and that's why I wanted to have you on it. it. It made sense, right? Like that you were one of the people that came to head when I came to my head when I was getting together. Well, if I started this podcast again, who would be on it, right? I'd, I've said before, I didn't want to just be musicians. I wanted people that made physical medium art, they cooked, they painted did things like that talk to me about like as you get your work experience right you get your years and your, and your reps in the industry right then you're kind of maybe are you able then to maybe take more liberties and then to kind of explore and have you and if so like how talk to me like give me kind of a brief summarization of of your, like your style and, and the way that you prefer to cook like whether that be the dishes themselves the presentation kind of your process with that so what at least what happened for me and I think I've spoken to some other cooks about what happens is that when you first get out of culinary school you're first in you look at you know this these very like molecular gastronomy and and complicated food because it's in in theory like it, oh it's the most difficult or it's this that or the other thing or it's the coolest looking you know I'm not knocking that at all that's mm-hmm. amazing and the people who do that have so much talent and they work so hard and they, they put something out that's amazing. But yeah. for me personally, what happened was almost a little bit of a scaling back. That's that it was sort of like I was focusing on the micro and I need to look at the macro and that there's this ocean of history, mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of years, tens of thousands of years of human yes. history. I mean, there's not to get too, too <laughs> deep on it, but there's an argument out there or a theory or whatever you want to call it that, human beings evolved from lower primates because we cook our food. Hmm. So the size of a skull, the size of our skull enlarged to fit our brain, if I remember correctly, because the size of the jaw is, needs to be so much bigger for 
animals like chimpanzees or gorillas because they spend so much time chewing raw material. Now, when we do something like cook a piece of meat or cook a squash to soften it, you don't have all these raw starches and fibers you need to digest. You can eat something. It's it's Right. So uh, our body's naturally developed like, oh, well, that's not so hard anymore. We don't need right. these. You need these big. Jay Leno. Yeah, exactly. Anymore, right. right. And so, you know, let's, let's grow the brain a little bit. Right. And that's fills me with wonder but but beyond that you look at you know there's there's pre-roman like adding white wine to shellfish with garlic i mean that's thousands and thousands of years old and now there's endless combinations or variations on that you know you could talk about linguine vongola or something from from the mediterranean or even moules marinere or you know from france or any type of moules dish right so like that's just one example but that's just Mediterranean cuisine. For me, I think this, what I, what you just saw that scaling back the looking at, there's so much history and how can I put it? Imagine you're a painter and you have eight colors mm-hmm. and now, you know, you see someone mixing someone who invented a new color and is mixing that with other ones. Instead of looking at that, it's more like now here are all these classical combinations of colors. Let me look at those and figure out and learn about those and th- figure out what they are. And, you know, oh, what's, what's, you know, what is spaghetti alla chitara? What is beef bolognese? Mm-hmm. Like, what is, you know, um, what is lamb plov from Uzbekistan? You know, that was one of the wonders of living in New York is like every day off I could go experience a culture I didn't, I never right. knew before. Right. So I would say in regards to my personal style, my food, you know, I'm, I'm still learning, mm-hmm. still humble. Um, you know, there's people out there who have a lot more experience and knowledge than I do, but but at least for me personally, what I like is I would describe my own cuisine or food as neoclassical, meaning I like to take those classic flavor combinations, mm-hmm. maybe mix them with other ones. So like, to give you an example, I think that, you know, there's a lot of similarity, obviously, between cuisines of the Mediterranean. Uh, you know, Spanish, Italian, French, I love those cuisines, but I also, I love using Japanese ingredients, specifically things like kombu and more higher quality soy sauces like white soy or shiro shoyu, you know, that's um, like the soy sauce, like kikoman you get is really, there's a lot more soy in it as opposed to wheat. So all soy sauce has gluten. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's called tamari, but um, you know, like white soy is really mostly wheat and that gives it a more floral sort of lighter body. It has these insane floral notes to it. That's almost like a, like bread. Mm -hmm. So that's something that learning, working in New York and, as well as working with some other people, you learn that well, you can have a say a Spanish cuisine or something that's loosely Spanish, but you can use things like kombu or Japanese ingredients. It's really you're not looking to make it taste Japanese or make it taste like seaweed or make it taste like soy sauce. You're sure. using that to add a nice background note that'll make people go, "Hmm, that was so delicious." I don't know what it was. There is right. this flavor there. The that's X factor. Yeah, yeah, exactly X factor. But beyond that, like, hmm, I don't know. I could babble about this sure. endlessly, but I. Do you, you think know. that's why New York City is such a hot spot for the industry? Not only, obviously, the monetary reasons, right, that people can afford to open up these these restaurants, but also because it is such a mecca of a melting pot of cultures for America, right? Like you said, like on your day off, you can go and discover cuisine from a from a country that you've never thought that you would have before, right? Do you yeah. think that that is like one of the positives uh, that you got, like? Uh, Opposed to training and like maybe a uh, area that was like a little less multicultural or things like that. Oh, one thousand percent. One thousand percent. It's not only that, but you know, New York is one of of the sort of big international melting pots in the world. New sure. York is up there with the rest of them in terms of competition. So you know, it attracts 
the best. And something someone told me once is that always try to work with people who are better than you, mm-hmm. not as people, but better than you at the craft, you know, be right. like the, the, the young person. So you can always keep learning. And that's really true about right. New York. I found that like iron sharpens iron. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, th- I mean, just so if I remember correctly, Jackson Heights, Queens is the most diverse place on the planet. I mean, there's there's sections of Brooklyn where, you know, you can take a 20-minute train ride and you can go from having really, really, you know, fantastic bread or something like that at a Colombian bakery and you drive 20 minutes and then you have, I don't know, hot pot or something like that. <laughs> I mean, is it is it shabu-shabu, Japanese-style hot pot, or is it, you know, Chinese-style? Or then, oh, no, I'm going to Little Sheep Mongolian Restaurant in, in Manhattan right. for Mongolian-style hot pot. Or maybe I want to go to K-Town late at night mm-hmm. and have, you know, um, whatever Korean food. You know, something else that I loved was just, I don't want to say street food, but, but just discovering, being able to walk around at a neighborhood I've never been before and might not ever go to again because the right. city is so sprawling. Right. But, oh, there's this woman grilling some sort of meat. I don't know what it is. All right, here's five bucks. Let me try it. Right. And then I try something I've never had before. Yeah. But then there's also these, I don't want to say temples, but in some way there are these amazing, incredible restaurants. And there's not just one or two or three or four or five. There's there's 50 or 60 or 70 or 100 mm-hmm. different restaurants where everybody has a vision and everybody's pushing for something. And it's it's very, very cool to be part of that culture. Yeah. No, definitely. It's... it's very cliche, but it sounds very magical. <laughs> it really, it really is. Yeah. New York is a magical place. Yeah. Well, hey, speaking of food, you know, food is a big theme here on our podcast. You know, some of our guests have, have been able to uh, to enjoy some food with us. You know, um, uh, we're going to jump into some segments, and 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 then and I think you're going to have a little spin on, on food, right? Obviously, we had to bring highbrow stuff if we're if we're dealing with the chef here. <laughs> um, uh, we can do this again at the end, but let the people know where they can find you on uh, social media and we'll have it as well uh, on on the screen for them to, to easily uh, reach you absolutely um, I'm really only on Instagram mm-hmm. um, and you can find me at lemon underscore vin gotcha hit them up when are you gonna uh, start taking uh, some food orders right you're gonna have people hitting you up right after after hearing all of this <laughs> yeah I have, I have a couple irons in the fire you know I'd say stay tuned and there'll be some things coming up but you know for now just if you have questions anything Hit me up. That's your man. All right. We'll be right back. We're going to hop into some segments. And we're back. Uh, I mentioned before we got to the break that, you know, we usually have our, our food segments, right? Like the past, we, you know, Jadoni, we had some great mac and cheese. Dan and Lamora, we did a great bev check, right? Um, so unfortunately, Harry... Um, you're going to be a little bit of a guinea pig here today. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's food, uh, okay. and I use that in a loose term. It is food, um, then. They're technically beans. Um, are you familiar with the Free game Holes. Bean Boozled? I'm not familiar. Okay, well. I'm intrigued, though. We're going to get familiar. So this is a new right. segment that we prepared um, called Bean Boozled. And, um, what the fuck? This is a game. Basically, there are, uh, as I take the lid off here, there are multiple different jelly beans here and as you can see there's kind of like a wheel of fortune type wheel right so it's basically a 50 50 chance so if you were to land let's say we spin the wheel and land on like a right here it's like this dark kind of brownish color it could either be chocolate pudding Mm, that sounds pretty good or not so good canned dog food 
Oh. Yeah, not right. not as appetizing, right? <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna ask you uh, we're gonna do three rounds. I'm gonna ask you a, a food related question, and then uh, we're gonna hop in and and I'll, I'll do it with you. Hey, we're Let's both do in it, this man. together. Um, here, let me move your order back a little bit. Um, off camera right here, we have a trash can prepared. And I know what you're thinking. Kyle, that's a little dramatic. No, it's not, actually, <laughs> um, as you will see. Um, it's not dramatic. It's actually quite realistic. Um, yeah, so if you're ready, uh, like I said, I, I know it's not uh, the high cuisine that we've had in the past, but uh, I figured your palate's refined enough to give this a go. Let's do it. I'm excited. Okay. So uh, the first question I wanted to ask you before we do our spin here, um, if you could have a death row meal, what would be your death row oh, meal? That's so difficult. I know. That's why I asked it. Oh, I I truly don't know because, I you know, I think, do I want something that's sort of expensive and decadent and luxurious or do I want something that I know is just delicious? I think, honestly... Do I have to answer? Do I have to pick one? I mean, hey, yeah, I think yeah I'm going right. to make you two beans if you don't. For me personally, I would go with whatever just was quality of taste. Hmm. At that point, I'm I'm being as gluttonous as possible on my way out. Yeah, I guess I don't know what I would have to do to get on death row. So right. I'm going to assume I was wrongly accused or something like that. So let's go Absolutely. with... Of course, we would never do anything wrong let's here go with, 100 miles uh, from home. Let's go with a piece of seared foie gras. Maybe okay. some sort of compote, something beautiful like blueberries or pear, some nice toasted brioche, and it's like an herb salad. Wow. I think a nice thick piece of seared foie gras, like four or five ounces. Wow. Is there dessert included in that? or? No, I think I'd just eat that. And just the, just just the, the main? Remember that you know, foie gras has been luxury since Egyptian times. Right, and you're like, God, I can't believe they're... Putting me to death over petty tax fraud. That wasn't <laughs> even my fault, right? <laughs> for me, I, I, you know, for me, I think I would go the opposite route and just, it would just be like, give me like every terrible food for me. Give me just every Shake Shack burger and, and, and chicken tenders that I've ever had that have been incredible. It's like, who cares at that point, right? Right. Yeah. Like, I don't need to worry about the calories because mm, I got about 15 minutes left to enjoy this anyways. So it doesn't matter how fried the food is because in about 15 minutes, I will be equally as fried, right? So <laughs> did you like Same that, Texas. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want, I, I can do the honors of this first spin. Spin away and all. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to try to get a good one. Yeah, let's hit it. <laughs> Not canned dog food. Oh, that's a strong spin. Oh, we're slowing down. What is it? Oh, <laughs> that's not a good reaction, man. All right, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to break it to you. This one is either peach. All right. Or barf. <laughs> Quite even, the contrast, even right? Even the word barf is just horrible. And even that's kind of... So here's the hard part is we need to figure out, like, see the color here? I do. I think it's this one. If I had all right, no. Or what do you think? Do you think, think it's this one, or is it more of like this one, this more orangey one? I'm comparing it, so it's either. I think it is the more orangey one because the strawberry banana appears okay, to be man. the more yellow one. So whatever, whichever. I think it's this blood red and orange one. But down the hatch. It smells like a jelly bean, so we'll see. Well, that's the thing that they yeah. do a good job until you get that crack. <laughs> You don't really know. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Ah. 
<laughs> Double barf. What are the odds? <laughs> this is rigged. Are, are we sure we got ones with good ones in it? Trying to get mm. the ranch. <laughs> oh, God, Glad we ate a full meal right before yeah. we did this, right? It's <laughs> sitting super nice. Let's do jump squats now. Let's do it. Yeah. That is. Yeah. That was worse than I thought it would be. They did a good job of making it they disgusting. They did a great job of making it disgusting. Um, give me a second here. I'm a little <laughs> frazzled. I'm <laughs> trying to remember what my, what my next question was. <laughs> uh, uh, boy. Jeez. <laughs> um, okay, yes. I know what it is. What is, your, what is your go-to meal that you like to make for yourself? So if you're at home, it's just you and you're preparing dinner for yourself, what's one of the go-to things that you add to the grocery list that you make sure that you're having during the week? Mm, for me, it's tortilla española. Um, mm. So that's sort of like the Spanish version of a frittata. Okay. Um, it's something I learned how to make in New York. I worked at a restaurant where that was a very popular menu item, um, and I did the math. I've made over, I think, at least over 1,300 of them. Wow. So, I mean, someday, so I, they were made fresh daily. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you'd work there between five to six days a week. Mm -hmm. And... At very minimum, maybe one day a week you'd make one, and most days you'd make between two and four. Wow. And so each one is 11 eggs and two to three potatoes. So it's essentially it's eggs. The way I make it, it's eggs, confit potatoes, uh, confit onions. Hmm. And I switch it up. You know, I'll, I'll do some, add some aromatics to the confit to really perfume it with flavor. Um, and also I'll then I'll save that. I'll save the oil from that, and I'll turn that into an aioli. So. Well. Um, that's just very classically in Spain. You eat tortilla with aioli, which is like a garlic mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. So it's this eggs, potato, onion, delicious sort of creamy frittata thing, and you dip it in aioli. So that's a go-to at home. Um, also another go-to is I love to eat just a, a bowl of rice with a fried egg. Mm -hmm. So what I yes. like to do is yeah. I'll make a bunch of condiments on my days off. So one day I'll make rayu, which is like a Japanese sort of chili, garlic, ginger condiment. Um, another day I might make something like, you know, a homemade kosho, which is a preserved Japanese citrus. Another day I might make something Indian, like a, maybe a doll, mm -hmm. and just different mix and match with rice and a fried egg. Because, you know, home, heat up whatever I had before, add a bunch of condiments or fresh herbs, and the, the, fry, the egg fried in brown butter is just a really warming meal. Wow, I, I'm actually getting my appetite back after that that bean. I'm surprised. That all sounds very, very good. <laughs> well, you know what time it is now. I, Let's I, do it I again. Think it's your turn to do the honors. You you can seal our fate if you want to give it a, a spin. I'll, I'll hold it for you. Line cooks are masochists, so you know. Yeah. Coconut or spoiled milk? Oh God! I think that this is God, this, this is real. Be worse, I think. This real solid white one here. Uh, this one right here. Listen, man. This is double coconut all the way. The bad thing is, I actually hate coconut. So oh, I love coconut. This is going to be kind of rough either way, maybe. I mean, obviously, there's a worse choice, right? I don't want to eat spoiled milk. I don't want to eat spoiled I milk really either. Don't. <sighs> all right, you ready? Begrudgingly, I'm ready. Let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Fuck that. I don't know if it was coconut or spoiled milk. It just was bad. Wait. Nah, that was coconut. My bad. I just don't like coconut, I guess. I was, um, I, ah. So Harry's, you're two for two. Yeah, that, I, I don't think that was coconut at all. I think it was spoiled milk. 
I think I was just anticipating it being bad. And at the first bite, you know, you kind of get the sugar at first. Yeah. And then the flavor comes through. And I think I was just like sealing. I thought my fate was sealed. It tasted to me like someone mixed spoiled milk with simple syrup. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's yeah, how a lot was, of these are, I right? That might have been how it was made. <laughs> All right, man. Well, unfortunately, we have we have one more left. Let's do it. And one more round. This is going to be a little bit of a... Uh, you know, a little bit of a joke one here at the end. I want you to settle a couple food debates, too, for me. In Let's fact, do it. Right? Pineapple and pizza, yes or no? Absolutely, yes. See, I like the concept of it. I, again, I'm I'm not a pineapple guy. Um, don't hate it as much as I hate, like, let's say, coconut or something like that. But I like the concept of... I'm a huge fan of the salty and sweet contrast. Mm, absolutely. And I think you add a little ham, a little bacon, you kind of get some of that saltiness to it. I, I'm for it. Uh, in a conceptual sense I mean I think that so When you look at what are the flavors of Classic pineapple pizza sort of I hate to say deconstructed but let's say s- Seasoned pork mm-hmm. Tomato yeah. Cheese and pineapple mm-hmm. Well pineapple goes really well with pork Pineapple in theory also goes well with tomato Now you right. have something with spicy pork like pepperoni That goes well with pineapple Um Cheese will add a delicious umami and richness to it. I mean, mm-hmm. just just the, the combination of cheese, sauce, and pizza. People love that. It's right, delicious. Right. So Especially adding like pineapple. The acidity of fruit with cheese seems to be kind exactly. of like the base. Especially like, like, I don't like canned pineapple on pizza. I actually personally, I hate canned pineapple. It's sweet. and yeah. But at fresh pineapple put on pizza and cooked, yeah, that's delicious. All right, I'm going to have to do that. And then finally, if you had to put ketchup on one of two things, which one would you rather have it on? Eggs or macaroni and cheese? If you, if you had to I think mac and cheese Yeah I agree Personally I'm not one of those people That goes out of my way You know if I make mac and cheese I'm like oh Let me grab the ketchup bottle But if I'm eating something That somehow has And I get a little Ketchup on my mac little, and cheese zest. I'm not I'm yeah. not You know Especially if you get A nice like kind of Sweet ketchup You know Yeah I mean I think eggs are, Can be a very Beautiful subtle flavor I've also mm. like Eggs I feel like Are a good base that, To which you Build upon Or something like that I agree, but also I think that ketchup is a very strong flavor, and yeah. sometimes you balance strong flavors with other strong flavors. Excuse me. In that sense, that mac and cheese, you have something sort of heavy and rich, and you know, like a cheese, the the tomato and the acidity and the sweetness will mm-hmm. balance well. Whereas with an egg, you know, I I like the flavor themselves of eggs. I don't need my eggs hammered. I also, I mean, I can't tell you how many brunch services I've slung eggs at, right? So <laughs> I can. It's like that scene from... You can from, do it in your sleep, right? Like, well, not quite that, but it's, you know, that scene from Forrest Gump where the guy lists all the different types of shrimp. Right. Like, it's like that with me with eggs. eggs. So <laughs> ketchup on the mac and cheese, please. Okay. There you go. Well, one thing that we don't have ketchup on, and there is no ketchup flavored oh, one, is unfortunately the beans. Let's give it one last spin. Oh, we had this one already, so let's right. give it another spin. That was the barf peach Mulligan. Mulli- oh, that didn't count. Uh, that didn't count. Triple mulligan. Triple mulligan, right? Okay. Toasted marshmallow <laughs> or stink bug? St- oh. I believe that is going to be this whitish, opaque one, one? with a little, little bit of All brown right. flux on stink it. stink bugs, I'm going to kill every stink bug I see. I feel like this... And you should, because it's an invasive species. I feel like this, I don't know, what, like dead fish we can maybe point something towards. I don't know what stink bug would Stink would bugs be. to me smell like a unpleasant version of cilantro. Okay, that actually kind of makes sense. I kind of get that. 
Let's find out. Cheers. Cheers. Stink bug card. Harry went three for three. Wow. Yeah. Did uh, Grace? Did you rig these it's off like camera? A did you flavored diaper? There goes my coaster. Holy shit! Ah, oh, got Dude, it. Dude, it's lingering. This is like there's Are an acrid burnt taste. Yeah. Yes, I'm this getting is, that too. This is just a turd sandwich of of, of jelly beans because it feels like. I mean, I know turd sandwich wasn't the flavor, but it feels like this sure. is a box. I mean, of hey, shit. it might as well have been. I think maybe Grace doctored these off camera <laughs> with the kind of luck that we're having tonight. Huh. Hey, man. Well, we survived. No hard cuts for throw up or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Little retching. Little retching, but hey, the, you know, I think we. Stuck our head in the trash can far enough. Second second segment. This is a quick one. The new little one one that we want to try is called My Worst. Oh, boy. And, you know, I think that this could be applicable to a couple of different things. But uh, the one thing that I want to ask you is my worst blunder on the work, like during the work day. Is there a, a short little anecdote that you can tell us, like a little a mistake that you made that that... You still keeps you in bed at like staring when you're staring at the ceiling at two a.m. That that enters your mind every once in a while. Oh, uh, there's two actually, but I'll go with the more funny one. Um, so I was working at a restaurant in New York, um, and they encouraged cooks to be creative, which is really awesome. Right? Mm -hmm. So they said if you know get all your work done, get everything done you need to for service, because service is the most important thing. But if you have extra time, you know, and you run it by us, we'll, you know, we we'll, we'll give you some license to maybe. You want to ferment something, make some of this or that. You know, ask us first, but we can do it. And I said I wanted to ferment some mushrooms. And relatively speaking, comparative to or compared to other mushrooms, button mushrooms are not that expensive. Okay. And so we had some extra, and I said I want to make fermented mushrooms because I'd read about it in the Noma Guide to Fermentation, which that really for me was not just for me, but for the whole culinary scene was this flavor bible. I mean, they mm. cracked open this entire, not new, but sort of they they recodified and repackaged all these different ideas of fermentation from all these different times and cultures into one like Bible almost. And it's an amazing, amazing book. Um, I read it cover to cover and one of their famous sort of tools and their tool belt that they use is lacto fermented, uh, sep or porcini mushrooms. Now I didn't have porcinis, but I had button mushrooms, but I really wanted to try it. Now the, I'd been doing a jar fermentation method because we didn't have a vacuum sealer license or a vacuum sealer. So I fermented them in a glass jar, meaning I took mushrooms, you know, clean, cleaned mushrooms, rubbed mm -hmm. them in a percentage of salt. And I don't remember if I covered them with water. I don't believe I did because I didn't do a brine. I just rubbed them with salt. But naturally when salt pulls moisture out of things and mus mushrooms are filled with moisture. So mm -hmm. creates its own liquid and you make sure the liquid's tamped down and it's completely submerged so as not to allow molds or other bad bacteria to... to Infested, I guess you would say. Sure. Now the issue was the kitchen was in the basement in a sky, what was essentially a building in Manhattan. So I kept yeast fermenting them, or yeast was allowed to populate. Now I only wanted lactobacilli, that is to say, lactic acid fermentation or lacto fermenting, because that gives it a, a more acidic flavor than yeast. So to counter that, I also thought it was taking a long time to ferment because since it was, again, it was the basement, it was a little bit cooler down there, it was more humid, and that lent itself to yeast fermentation. I didn't like that. I had one batch get messed up, so I tried another batch. And to speed up fermentation, because um, I had seen one of the chefs do a different type of fermentation that really what it needs is a higher heat. Now, this this should not have done, I should not have done this. 
I put the covered glass jar, which I shouldn't have covered it as much as I did. I should have left more more room for air to escape. I put it on the top of one of the ovens. Hmm. So if you're making something like a garum or something like that, you want to you want a higher heat because you need um, you want to cook it essentially. Not cook it. It's it's hard to explain. I'm not going to go into depth into the depths of garum making because again, I've I've only really experimented with it a little bit with it a little bit and read about it. But long story short. I put these this glass jar of mushrooms above the oven. Now, my station was a satellite station upstairs in front of the dining room, almost like a chef's counter. We mm-hmm. called it, you know, it was a chef's counter, essentially. Um, and that did about 25 to 30% of the menu. Now, the main kitchen was downstairs. That's where we did all of our prep. So the other stations were there. Now, the oven was next to the paella station and the fry station, and there was a six burner to the left of the oven. So I'd say the oven, top of the oven was about, I don't know, call it, four feet above my shoulder mm-hmm. around that and I put the glass jar up there and now it got hot during service and so much gas built up in the sealed jar that it literally fucking exploded <laughs> and broken glass went into a bunch of food during service in oh, the middle wow. of service that means you have to refire food and remake it and yeah that was probably my biggest blunder it was not not smart and it just um yeah no it was not good but only okay. only food was hurt in, only in food the was hurt no one was hurt it made That's a really great. loud explosive sound and everybody was pissed off because <laughs> i had no idea what happened because i'm upstairs i come down at the end of the night hey guys you know and they're all like dude like right. so you know i was called the, the mushroom bomber <laughs> mushroom terrorist things like that um yeah not my not my most shining moment but there's that hey i think that was a pretty, pretty good one right <laughs> who would have thought right that food be- could become a potentially dangerous uh explosive Correct. Right? Wow. Hey, well, anyone out there, don't take that advice, right? Like, let's, let's not have yeah. mushroom bombs. Don't be a jackass. Out, right, right. right. <laughs> well, this has been great, man. Uh, Likewise. As always, you know, um, we have one segment that we always do at the end, right? And um, it is called Tweet the Rock. Um, Tweet the Rock. Th- right. I think if you look off camera, I believe maybe it's your right on the floor. Do you see a piece of clothing? Is it is I, it currently I there? Do see a piece of clothing? Should I put this piece of clothing on? I think maybe you, should, you could grab it first, and then we can kind of go from there. Should I do a little little, little look see for the camera? Yeah, if you it would li- if you would like to put it on, as always, it's 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 the the jersey that we like to don when we tweet the rock. If you would like to put it on, I would be honored. You know, every guest besides one, and I will bring it up every time. Lamora didn't wear it. Um, <laughs> people's put champ. It put Let's put on. it on. Yeah. Here we go. Harry's gonna Harry's gonna rock the jersey live here on 100 miles from home. Looks great. This, wow. this jersey looks great on anyone. That's how you know it's it's blessed by the Rock himself. <laughs> now I know you're not a, a Twitter person, so I, so I will I will handle this. But uh, if um if I could relay from you one message to the Rock via Twitter, what was what would you like to say to the Rock? I would say in his wrestling days. I know they put some lubricant on themselves yes. to, to look shiny and good for the cameras. Yeah, a little but I'm bit of baby if, oil. A little bit of baby oil. I mean, he's got a big chest, right? So when he's getting Massive. rolled around the mat, do his nipples ever bleed? And if so, how do you account for that while you're filming? Does insurance, wrestlers insurance cover bloody nipples? Or like, what? how is how's huh. this going? 
that would definitely be a weird injury to come to the back with. So funny thing about the rock and, and, and nipples and, and I can't believe I'm saying this right now. Right. But, uh, he actually had this thing. So he's from Samoan descent, you know, uh, he's okay. half black and half Samoan. And he had something that, uh, people can get where like, they have like kind of like man boobs, but not from like eating unhealthy. just, they have like a little more estrogen or something like that. And he actually got the surgery that cut out some of like the excess fat of his from like his boobs, you know, from his chest and when his we say boobs, his moobs. Yeah, there we go. And he actually wrestled with a t-shirt on like a kind of like a jersey kind of like this for a couple months and no one knew why. And coming out later, that's he was recovering from the surgery. See, I was why. I was kind of trying to be funny, but now I just feel like a jerk. No, I think that's still great. I think in, in a weird way, it's actually a. a a pretty good question you know you're on that rough canvas that rough mat right can't be it, soft right you're right it's not and i think people you know people tend to think that there's some kind of trampoline or something like that underneath the ring but it's not it's canvas and plywood and some steel beams you know so shout out to all the people out there that are wrestlers i can ask him i think maybe he won't respond to this <laughs> one but we can hey we can try right let's, let's try and it. if he does respond to this one what a weird one to uh to uh respond to so you want to ask the rock if while he's lubed up out there doing his thing, if he's ever had, you know, a little bit of a nipple bleeding. Well, 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 <laughs> exactly. As always, if you would like, let's get a, we could get a picture of us together. Cause I think it's Can important. I take the jersey off now? I, I, if or possible, I would love for you to keep it on. All in right, the picture. I'll keep it on. Let's do it. Um, is there any kind of cool pose or anything that you want to do? We Not could, particularly. We could point at the camera, right? Awesome. And the tweet will be on the screen. I'll go ahead and I'll tweet that from my Twitter. Hopefully, actually, fuck that. Hopefully we don't get a response. If we do, then what a weird <laughs> one. Really to uncomfortable. I said that the, the, the day we get a uh, tweet from The Rock reply is the day that we end the podcast. So he has all the power in his hands, right? So he, he has the keys to or the Or in kingdom, his nipples. Or his nipples, right? Well, I, truly on this one, he has all the, all the power in his nipples. Let's uh, let's wind up. I'm thinking about the rocks and nipples too much, right? I'm getting a little flustered. Uh, once again, it, it was great having you on here, and it was great to see you again. And uh, likewise, and uh, if uh, you want to tell the camera where they can find you and any kind of upcoming things you have going on, please do. Uh, absolutely, you can find me on Instagram at lemon underscore vin. Um, I have a couple projects in the works, and uh, just any anything you want to ask me, feel free to ask. Um, that's it. Kyle, it was a pleasure being here. Of course. And basically what Harry's saying is if you need to know how to like fry an egg or something at 2 a.m., definitely slide yes. to his Instagram DMs. Please. He will tell you everything that you need to know. <laughs> As Fried always. eggs, boiled eggs, broiled eggs, poached eggs, hard poached, soft poached, six minutes, seven minute, hard boiled, soft boiled, medium eggs, sheared eggs, scrambled eggs, soft scramble, hard scramble, over easy, over medium, over hard, tortilla, omelet, French omelet. Like, my man just went off. I'm just like, do I want him dippy or not? That's pretty much where I'm at. As always, you can find all of us online at, at 100 Miles Media on Instagram. You can find me online on Instagram at WoolXGod as well as Twitter at WoolXGod. New episodes of the podcast drop every other Wednesday. So two weeks from now, you'll see another one with a fu another future guest. Harry, it's great to see you, my man. What we'll to do this again soon. Hey, man, you broke my wrist. It's okay, though. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> it's okay. Um... And hopefully uh, this will not be the last time we see you in 100 Miles. 
uh, from home as well as 100 miles in general. I think that we have some great ideas that will be coming your way very soon via the interweb. Thank you everyone for checking this out and we will see you again in two weeks. Peace.